Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Hustle Sprouts. I'm Carissa Nitschie. And I'm Jim Townsend. And we're so glad you could join us. On May 31st, the United States and European Union hosted the fourth EU-US Trade and Technology Council ministerial meeting in Sweden. After a contentious third meeting that was overshadowed by tensions over the Inflation Reduction Act, the goal of the fourth meeting was to deliver concrete results. The transatlantic partners announced progress on several initiatives, including deepening cooperation in artificial intelligence, 6G, online platforms, and quantum computing. Additionally, the group announced connectivity projects in Costa Rica and the Philippines and made initiatives facilitating the green transition a focal point of the meeting. To discuss takeaways from the TTC meeting and opportunities for transatlantic collaboration moving forward, we're happy to welcome Tyson Barker and Fran Burwell back to the podcast today. For those of you not familiar with their work, Tyson Barker is a senior advisor in the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs at the U.S. Department of State. He previously served as the head of technology and global affairs at the German Council on Foreign Relations, or DGAP. Francis Burwell is a distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council and a senior director at McClarty Associates. Her work focuses on the European Union and U.S.-EU relations, as well as a range of transatlantic economic, political, and defense issues. Tyson and Fran, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to bring the band back together again. Good to be here. It's great to be here. All right, so let's start from the very beginning. I'd be curious to hear what each of you view as some of the greatest accomplishments of the TTC in its fourth ministerial meeting. So Tyson, let's start with you. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the invitation. And it's nice to be bring the band back together, even though I'm sitting in a new perch. Um, so hopefully that won't have any impact on what I can say, but I think we're going to have a great discussion. I mean, I think that if you look at the, the TTC4 in the high north uh, that took place in Sweden and Lulia, it really captured what the spirit of the TTC is meant to be. Uh, we saw a city that is um, really mastering the twin transitions, you know, the green transition and the digital transition, um, a place that is home to a carbon neutral uh, data center that is running metadata uh, for or data for meta for Facebook uh, that has uh, made the transition on steel processing from, uh, you know, fossil fuels to using hydrogen. So renewable energy to create steel. And, you know, Sweden, it's very close to the, Lulia is very close to the, the Arctic Circle, 90 miles away from the Arctic Circle, and is very close to a new discover, discovery of uh, critical minerals. Uh, actually, I believe Europe's largest uh, deposit of critical minerals and rare earths, uh, which was just discovered at the beginning of this year, which will play a big role in um, helping to emancipate Europe and, and the broader democratic world from you know, over-reliance for, for critical minerals and supply chain reliance on, on China. So that's a really important dimension of de-risking as, as the TTC and the US and Europe are looking to how to make sure that there's supply chain resilience in, in critical sectors. So, um, you know, just starting with the scene setter, Lulia, I mean, nothing could encapsulate uh, the spirit of the TTC better. Um, I'm just going to highlight three kind of broad areas just at the outset, um, what I think matter about TTC4. First of all, 
is the idea that this is and remains a fundamentally geopolitical project. Um, you know, we saw a um, a reassertion of transatlantic unity around supporting Ukraine and imposing costs on Russia. And I think one of the most important uh, deliverables of the TTC thus far has been the ability to compress the time it took to implement export controls on technology, key technology like semiconductors, on Russia as a result of its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And we see this continuing TTC4 through discussions around how to close uh, loopholes, close holes of evaders, uh, sanctions and export control evaders, and, and other technologies like uh, UAVs coming from Iran. So that transatlantic unity around Russia and Ukraine remains, remains essential. But it's not just a Euro-Atlantic uh, geopolitical project, it's a global geopolitical project. And you see this when you read the national security strategy that came out in October of 2022 that the Biden administration released. You see it in the Jake Sullivan speech that he gave in May around economic security, that uh, the United States, together with its partners and allies, is looking to create fit-for-purpose arrangements that tackle the nexus of economics, technology, economic security, and, and the green transition all in one in one kind of way that matches the reality of the world that we're living in. So flexible arrangements like the TTC in the Euro-Atlantic, but also the Indo-Pacific Economic Forum and the Quad in the Indo-Pacific and America's partnership in the Americas. So this is this is a you know a kind of risk board, a geoeconomic and technology risk board of which the TTC is a very, very important component. The second aspect that I want to just flag at the, at the outset is the convergence that we see. Um, and I think we've seen it not just since TTC, not just at this TTC, but really since TTC 3. Um, as you mentioned, uh, TTC was a little bit, 3 was overshadowed by the irritant of the IRA. But this TTC 4 had a much more affirmative agenda where we see, you know, concepts kind of converging in areas like de-risking on the PRC, how to deal with policies and practices of non-market economies and economic coercion, of which the PRC is the, uh, I guess, the, the most critical example for both sides. On artificial intelligence, as you mentioned, 65 key terms that are essential to assessing risk we have uh, started to agree to uh, in the joint roadmap process. And looking at kind of anticipatory wins that bring together the tech market more closely in technologies that are about to come online, like 6G, like added, additive manufacturing, like megawatt uh, charging stations for heavy duty vehicles, like digital identity, like quantum computing and R&D and quantum computing. And the final thing that I will flag at just at this outset is that it is uh, it's a broadening process. Uh, you know, this isn't just about uh, trade and technology in the Euro-Atlantic space, but it does have this global dimension, and that includes, uh, you know, emerging partners in the global south. So, you know, at TTC2, we have this launch of principles for trustworthiness for ICT, where we're looking at how do you create ICT infrastructure, you know, 5G infrastructure, connectivity data centers in partner countries that are not uh, compromised, uh, that don't create lock-in effects and cybersecurity vulnerabilities, uh, you know, through, let's say, the Belt and Road process or, or Huawei. Um, and we are starting to see that come into practice. We saw that in uh, TTC3 with uh, concrete projects launched in Jamaica and Kenya. 
We see it now with the uh, memorandum of understanding between the DFC and the uh, European Investment Bank, which will allow a lot more joint financing for projects in third countries. And we saw new projects in, in Costa Rica and the Philippines. And just on this kind of on that front, uh, the two sides are, are looking to organize a, a digital ministerial roundtable on inclusion and connectivity with digital ministers from emerging economies. So this is all, you know, the idea that this is a process that needs to be inclusive. Digital and trade governance needs to bring in not just the Euro-Atlantic, but a, a broader uh, group of, of stakeholders and governments from uh, around the world that share these values. And we're seeing this uh, in TTC4 as well. Thank you, Tyson. That was great. Fran, do you have anything to add there as what you saw as really the big accomplishments from TTC4? So I will agree with much of what Tyson said. I, I think that um, this TTC has confirmed the geopolitical nature of the TTC. But let's just go back in time a little bit to June 21, when the uh, idea of the TTC was launched, and then we had the first meeting in 20 in the fall of 21. And this was really to be about what it is called tech and trade issues. And not so much about some of these larger issues. Um, of course, that changed significantly with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It has also been boosted by the concerns about Chinese behavior, particularly in the economic sphere. Um, and I think it's logical that the TTC would react to this by, for example, in, in this one, uh, I mean, we've seen export controls before. That's been that was one of the biggest stories of I think it was TTC two, um, but now we have not only export controls but we have outward investment, which is a really interesting um, idea. If the EU and the US can get on the same uh, page with that, and we have investment screening working together to to establish more uh, harmony there. So we really are seeing a geopolitical um, actor emerge across the Atlantic. And we do see a lot of convergence. I've been struck particularly by the convergence in AI. It's not so much convergence in terms of do we have similar laws and rules, because we don't. Um, the AI Act in Europe is heading for a parliamentary vote uh, next week and will then go into negotiations uh, between the co-legislators. And we have almost nothing even uh, proposed up on the Hill. We do have very similar language in the um, in the in the Biden administration in several different places where they've talked about AI. So we have convergence in terms of aspirations, not necessarily in terms of actual implementation. On the other hand, aspirations are very important. And I think that it does spell out the direction that this administration is likely to pursue um, over the next year, and particularly if they get a second term. Um, so I think that uh, you know we are seeing some very interesting convergence within the TTC. But my query is, how has the TTC been as a problem-solving mechanism? And I think there we have some some real, um, I won't say concerns, I think that's strong, but I think there are still a lot of questions that are open. 
Um, we have, for example, not seen the TTC engaged in the data privacy framework, which is still struggling to be finalized. Uh, the new critical rare minerals pact that is to be negotiated between the US and the EU. Some of us were hopeful that that would happen before this TTC and it would be one of the deliverables, but about a month ago, maybe longer, it became clear that was not going to happen. And then we have the steel negotiations that are going on and we'll finish, have a deadline of uh, sometime in October. Um, and it's not clear that there's any serious progress being made in those. Now, the TTC has become a place where top leaders from both sides of the Atlantic can talk about these issues. And I do think that the reaction to the US Inflation Reduction Act would have been much, much stronger and more negative and longstanding um, in Europe if there had not been the TTC. This was an opportunity where the principals, even though the TTC wasn't meeting, they can call each other, they know each other, they can say what they mean um, because they've been in a lot of rooms together. And um, I think that that did help uh, mollify the situation. Um, but in terms of, is the TTC addressing some of these issues and some of the technical issues that companies, that the business stakeholders of the TTC would like to see addressed? I think that is open uh, for further consideration. I think one of the possibilities is that because of geopolitics and because it is a government to government institution, the TTC is not going to address those. And we should just say, okay, it's valuable because of the geopolitical elements of it, because it is a way for the US and the EU, the two major democracies to get together and talk about the impact uh, of disinformation on democracy, to talk about export controls on a country that has invaded uh, another partner of theirs, um, and to talk about things about uh, defenses against non-market economies. Uh, so I think there's still value in it, but I think it's a, you know, that when this first arose, when the TTC was first started, there was a belief that it was going to be more of a business-driven thing. And I think that that possibility is a lot less likely now. And I think that we should um, think about whether that's the path we want it to be on or whether we need something else or whether something else would be useful, not in addition to the TTC, because I see the TTC as having built up a lot of its, it has a lot of credibility now within the, uh, within the system. And so. So I think that's the big question that remains. Well, Fran, thank you very much, both you and Tyson. That was quite a, a masterclass uh, in the TTC for a lot of folks who don't track it very closely. And that was just a wonderful, wonderful job. And But let me ask you a question that, that I think a lot of Europeans who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, follow the kinds of things that you guys were following, but they probably had the same question that I did, which is, Going back to the Inflation Reduction Act, how was it <laughs> that uh, in putting together the IRA that there that the, the concerns or the impact or the ripple effect in Europe uh, didn't seem to be taken into account as they were putting together the uh, the, the, the documents? And you you would and, and you know, I'm not stupid, you know. I've been in government quite a bit doing Europe and NATO, and a lot of times uh, administrations, Democrat and Republican, they don't even think about that 
And then they're surprised when all of a sudden Europe howls and, and they go, what, what? We didn't know, you know. And so uh, I, I have to think about the Biden administration in this case. Uh, they've got a lot of, you know, people who've been in government before. Uh, and so you would think that they would kind of think about ramifications, particularly in Europe. And so my question is, did they do this with eyes wide open? They knew there was going to be an impact. They didn't care because it was too politically important here and they weren't going to about to go to Europe and say, hey, we're getting ready to launch this. What do you guys think? And then get tied up in conversations that will go on for years. They needed to get something out. And they said, dance of torpedoes, full steam ahead. And they launched. Is that what happened? Or, or really, is this an example of just, just the, the problems with administrations not thinking about the impact overseas? Uh, and they were surprised uh, and, uh, and then had to clean up afterwards. A little bit of a AUKUS moment, if you will. Um, so, so uh, Fran, I won't, Tyson, I won't ask you to, to answer that. But, but Fran, uh, what do you think? How, how, how did this happen? I have to say I was, I went, I went, uh, either you guys are just naive or you just didn't really care. And is that really how we want to treat uh, partners overseas? Well, I think, you know, we focus a lot on particular aspects of the IRA, but it's a huge bill. And it really was the administration's only opportunity to get a lot of climate-friendly initiatives started. I don't think the administration was necessarily responsible for the final shape of the bill. It looks like it really was a congressional deal uh, made by people in the dark, what we used to call the dark and smoky rooms, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, no longer smoky. Um, but um, I think that that's the problem is that within Congress, especially, the focus is more on much more on domestic. Right. Uh, and so this was a bill made for the domestic audience. There are reports that, uh, you know, the inclusion of countries that have a free trade agreement with the United States, that at least one of the senators involved thought the EU did have a free trade agreement with the United States, erroneously. Um, so I think it's just one of those big mistakes that I, I don't think anyone really meant to do it, but I think it raises some important issues in that we are both, we, the United States and the EU, are both heading into an era of industrial policy. And the question is, how do we help our own industries and yet not exclude each other's industries. And it's very difficult to, it's very difficult to um, create a club. You know, we've heard about the climate club and maybe the rare minerals club, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's really hard. And to figure out who's in, who's out, especially if the raw materials are in an entirely different country, right? Uh, and a country that you wouldn't consider part of the club. So I think one good point of this TTC was that at the meeting with Presidents von der Leyen and Biden earlier, I think in April, um, that they established a clean energy initiatives task force to kind of keep an eye on these, on these different initiatives, on these different subsidy programs and figure out whether they were conflictual or not. And we have also seen this happening. I would say we're farther along the line now with both of us have a CHIPS Act. 
and we're looking at subsidies for superconductors. Right. So, you know, this we are going to have to be transparent with those who are part of our community of democracies, if you will put it that way, um, about what we're doing and what we plan to do to the extent that we can and how we understand that this will not exclude our partners or if it does exclude our partners, that it's going to be um, something that we try to moderate. And on both sides of the Atlantic, one of the big areas uh, where we will have a lot of issues and the TTC has um, pointed to and is going to try and address this, good luck to it, and that is government procurement and particularly green uh, government procurement. And I think that's that's gonna be a real proving ground for whether we can do this together. Well, you know, can I just add a little bit to what Fran said, because I, I agree with most of it, but I, I want to start with some some back to basics. First, uh, you know, both sides of the Atlantic agree that we need to accelerate efforts to cl combat climate change uh, and get to this green transition. And and I think that uh, the objectives of the IRA were more than welcomed in Europe. Um, Second, I, you know, both sides of the Atlantic uh, recognize the independence as uh, sovereign entities of the legislative making process on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, both here in Washington and in Brussels and among the 27 member states. So we we have to respect that process, um, even though, of course, both sides want, want to consult as, as uh, legislation is moving through. And that goes just as much for the United States when it comes to the digital rule book on things like artificial intelligence and, and the data act, et cetera. But you know, the IRA experience demonstrates why the TTC is so important. Because as Fran mentioned, a lot of the friction that the uh, the process created uh, was, had an outlet um, to <laughs> expedite you know, getting to greater convergence. And are we 100% on the same page with the IRA? Not necessarily. But if you look at the uh, negotiations around the critical minerals agreement, if you look at the use of leasing provisions under uh, 45W of the IRA, which gets around a lot of the um, assembly requirements for tax credits for EVs under Section 30D, uh, you see a lot more convergence. And, and the best example of that is that the IRA was not really a topic of central discussion at TTC4. Um, TTC4 was much more focused on things like uh, Ukraine-Russia, on things like uh, generative AI, um, and how we make sure that we have, you know, we talk a lot in, in geopolitics about pacing challenges, and we're usually talking about the PRC, but there's another pacing challenge, which is the uh, rate of technological development, and how much is the rulemaking process that we have fit for purpose? And if you look at, uh, you know, the narrative coming out of TTC4, you see a major push for uh, development of a voluntary code of conduct uh, for artificial intelligence that can be used by the private sector, and of course will be negotiated with private sector stakeholders um, that can be the, then feed into uh, the G7 Hiroshima process uh, so that it can be then amplified. But the TTC is an incubator for this process. And if you listen to uh, Gina Raimondo and uh, Tony Blinken and uh, Margarita Vestager, they're saying we're trying to do this within weeks. 
Yeah. And the reason is because, uh, you know, the, the pace of technological development is just so rapid that sometimes the legislative process just can't keep up. So that's another area where the, the TTC is really demonstrating its value add. And I would agree and really, really emphasize what Fran said around uh, semiconductors and industrial policy around semiconductors. That experience of information sharing, guaranteeing that there wasn't a, a race to the bottom, a subsidy war, that uh, you know private sector actors weren't able to play Europe off the United States and vice versa, was really a best practice. And the clean energy incentives dialogue that Fran mentioned that was launched when, uh, that will be part of the TTC process, but was launched when uh, uh, President von der Leyen was in, in Washington, is trying to replicate that best practice in, in the green space. So we've already got it a little bit on, on digital uh, uh, industrial policy, and now we want to do the same thing on, on green industrial policy. Well, thank you very much for that. And, and uh, Fran, thanks also for your insights on the IRA, the AUKUS moment. And uh, uh, I, I, I can just imagine uh, the lights were on till midnight after the first feedback from Europe on how to fix that. So I'm sure there was a lot of work by the administration to kind of to clean it up. But, but just as a follow-up question, um, and you all both touched on this, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on uh, talks about trade, about cooperation across the board on things. Well, that invasion also pointed out that uh, in transatlantic defense trade uh, and on the uh, supply chain issues just dealing with military equipment. Uh, and, you know, there is uh, it's exposed big problems, uh, big, big gaps. Uh, and some of these have to be addressed by cooperation between the U.S. and Europe on on defense and military issues dealing with procurement. Is there any chance? I, I, as I remember, there was a working group or something dealing with this, uh, and I haven't heard much from them. It's a tough issue. Um, but is there any way that that maybe cooperation can become more fruitful given the pressures now that we're under and the and the gaps that we see, and and the way ahead has got to be some type of cooperative of approach um, in some areas. So, is there any chance that uh, this new environment uh, and the and the uh, success of a lot of those, a lot of the of the groups that you're talking about, is there any way we this that there's a new way to tackle transatlantic defense trade and cooperation, or are we just as stuck today as we were two years ago, three years ago, in terms of the U.S. and Europe trying to work together on transatlantic defense trade? Well, I would say that the TTC is not necessarily the place to be looking at transatlantic defense trade, in part, in large part, because the European Union does not have that mandate uh, from the member states. Um, they do have, because of the uh, invasion of Ukraine, they have made significant strides in trying to organize their defense procurement together and particularly the procurement for Ukraine. So now we see this very interesting uh, move by Commissioner Breton to buy uh, a significant amount of ammunition for Ukraine. Right. Uh, there is a question about whether this will be sourced from only European defense companies uh, or whether US, Japanese, et cetera, whoever else, uh, who's in the coalition, if I can put it that way, the Support Ukraine Coalition, um, 
whether they also, their defense firms could also um, be part of this. I think this issue of potential discrimination, if that's what you want to call it, is something that could be discussed in the TTC because that's much more about, in a way, it's almost about transatlantic trade and who is a who is a European company and issues right. like that. Right. But in terms of the actual coordination of this effort in support of Ukraine, I think we have to look at the other side of Brussels, and that's NATO, um, for more direct uh, relevance there. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would... Just to add one one point onto everything that Fran said, which is exactly right. Um, you know, a lot of the technologies that, that the TTC is talking about are increasingly dual use. And yeah. uh, that dual use nature is something that's going to be a big component in how this technology is governed uh, in, you know, investment screening and use of trustworthy vendors because there's cybersecurity vulnerabilities uh, in, um, in how technology technology is applied, be it uh, semiconductors, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, which can be used to, uh, you know, break encryption, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, so this is, is the space where we're seeing that, I would say, that nexus of, of defense and this kind of uh, geoeconomic trade and technology uh, aspect. And if you look at, uh, you know, the most impactful is going back to the Russian experience is starving Russia of the chips it needs to to fuel to power its military. I mean, they are the Russians because they've been starved for chips in part because of the TTC has been forced not only to try to get uh, chips on illicit markets, um, but also to make tough choices whether or not they want to have use semiconductors in their military kit or in their refrigerators or in their civil aviation or in their cars. So that is, I think, where you see the defense aspect of this uh, exercise most clearly. Yeah. I, I would also add that we're going to see, likely see the TTC get more involved, I think, in the sanctions discussion between the US and the EU, and particularly as that discussion moves more towards um, implementation of sanctions and adherence to sanctions. And here, export controls are a key element. Uh, and so I think you will see the TTC being a major player in that. Yeah. All right. I don't know if that was all the answers that Jim wanted to hear about defense trade, but I'm going to zoom us back to something that Tyson really started with, which is how the TTC is a global geopolitical project. Um, you know, we've seen, as he mentioned, all of these projects in the so-called global south. Um, but what seems to be missing from this global project is really linkages between the transatlantic dialogue and those in the Indo-Pacific. You know, we've seen the EU start a dialogue with India. They have their own TTC with them, which held its first meeting in May. Um, it would be useful to hear from all of you kind of where the Indo-Pacific dialogues fit into this. Are these, you know... Um, overlapping coalitions, and then, you know, are they, should they be separate? Should they become part of the TTC? Should they open up working groups? And then kind of the one big elephant in the room since Brexit, what about the United Kingdom? So just going to throw all of that on the table. Um, and I don't know, Tyson, if you'd like to kick us off with kind of your reflections on how the Indo-Pacific plays into the TTC. Sure. Um, yeah. As I mentioned, you know, the map 
has this, uh, you know, look and and the TTC is a a very important uh, piece of that uh, puzzle in the in the Euro Atlantic and the US and Europe both uh, have their own respective uh, similar dialogues with the Indo Pacific, uh, but none of these things are necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, I will say one thing, uh, you know, there is always a trade off between inclusion and you know the sharpness of the kind of uh, deliverables that can be can be yielded. You know, and that goes at its broadest base. You have things like, uh, uh, you know, the United Nations, and then you have things like um, the OECD. Uh, you have the ITU and a lot of uh, technical standard setting bodies, which have a number more, uh, many more members. Maybe you know are kind of multilateral institutions, the WTO. And then you do go in, I would say, into things like uh, the OECD, the Global Partnership on Artificial Intelligence, etc. And this creates a kind of ecosystem where the same people are meeting in different formats and kind of socializing ideas that have been incubated in different places. And that's one of the, the values that the TTC brings to the table. I mean, the uh, co-chairs, the five co-chairs explicitly said that, you know, what they're looking to do on this voluntary code of conduct will feed into a process at the G7. That G7 process, of course, the, the UK is a member of the G7, as is Japan, um, and many um, partner countries that are not in the G7 are take part in the in the summits. Um, that process would then in turn maybe feed into uh, broader standard setting processes at ISO, at the ITU, et cetera. So I think it, you don't need to think about the TTC in a vacuum and say, oh, well, why isn't this country there? Why isn't the UK there? Why isn't Canada there, Japan? Because that will the, the connective tissue between these different exercises is pretty deep. Um, but, you know, even on the on the U.S. India piece, I would say that we have a similar, very fruitful dialogue on technology with India. Um, and we welcome the fact that that the European Union is doing a TTC with India because that will only create a reinforcement uh, loop between the three. Well, I think I largely agree with Tyson, but perhaps uh, I'm a bit more skeptical about the global nature of the TTC. Um, I think these are significantly different partnerships. So the U.S. and the EU are one of the most powerful and profitable uh, trading relationships in the world. I mean, to be blunt, Europe is where U.S. tech companies go to make money. Um, and I think that we are much more integrated than some of these other relationships, certainly than EU-India or US-India. And so I think that the TTC is in part designed to address some of those nitty gritty issues that happen when you're doing a lot of business with someone. And it really makes a difference. A small change in legislation can make a lot of difference to your companies. And of course, we have these strong ties in terms of the transatlantic relationship overall, so that when Ukraine was invaded, it was natural for the US and the EU to respond together. I think we were all a bit surprised by how and welcome, welcomed Japan, Korea, Australia jumping in. But it was not something that was a given that was going to happen. Thank goodness it did. Um, but I think that that goes a little bit to the, and India has not, of course. So that goes a little bit to the difference, the qualitative differences in these relationships. 
I do see the TTC as kind of a proving ground. Can we, the US and the EU, agree on something and then take it elsewhere? And I think you see this increasingly in standards. And this is a, a really good thing because before the TTC, um, we had, the two of us had more or less given up on international standard setting bodies. We were taking a backseat uh, to the Chinese in particular. And I think that has been, if not reversed, we have indicated that we are going to be a much more active presence. And I would say that the election of an American to be the head of the ITU with a European deputy um, in the face of the alternative candidate who was a Russian uh, is a very um, good indicator of future global cooperation on standards. But first, that cooperation has to rest on the convergence that we've been seeing in the TTC. There are some other interesting things uh, outside of standards. And I think having the US and the EU take things together to the G7 is a very interesting um, possibility in the future. I'm watching to see whether various things that have been mentioned, whether it's code of conduct on AI or guiding principles, there have been suggestions by the British in particular, but not only them, of creating a, uh, an agency for AI similar to the IAEA, something like that. And I suspect that we will hear about that while Prime Minister Sunak is in DC. So um, I think those are some meta mega projects that could come out of this, but I think you, you have to be a bit cautious um, taking into account what Tyson said as well is the more players you have in the TTC, the more complicated and the less likely it is to actually achieve anything. It's complicated enough with the member states and, and then the commission. And we haven't even talked about Congress and the European Parliament being involved in the TTC, um, which would be a very interesting experiment. But um, I think, so I think be cautious, but in certain areas where we can, where we are converging, then go for it. See what other avenues there are to push those ideas forward. Jim, I think you're on mute. Sorry about that. Uh, but thanks, thanks so much. I one thing that uh, your responses have made me think about, and, and Fran, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier on, is uh, what happens to these groups and this work if I, uh, if the administrations change? Do these do they, is there some resilience and some permanency here in terms of the arrangements, or does that all is that all swept away and we? become isolationists and and uh, we don't trade anymore. What's the what happens if the administrations change? I mean, I it depends, of course, it depends who is the president, right? I do think one of the most interesting things about the TTC long term is that that has created a group of a much broader group of officials at the agencies like NIST and other places like that, who never thought about Europe before, who are now in working groups with their EU colleagues and have been given permission by this administration to come up with new ways to cooperate with the EU. And I think that that is great. Um, whether, uh, the EU, whether the TTC will survive, first off, 
the EU is also facing elections, but I'm not worried in 2024. By the end of 2024, we'll have a new parliament and a, and a new head of the commission, although a lot of the betting is on Ursula von der Leyen being reappointed. So, um, but whether or not that happens, I think almost any commission president will want to maintain what has become uh, the most concrete link with the United States. Uh, and But the question is what will happen here? And I think that's entirely up to the politics that um, I'm reluctant to predict. If a Biden administration, if we get Biden second term, the TTC will continue. If another president is elected, um, you know, no matter what the ideology or party of the president, there's always a tendency to say, I'm not doing what the other guy did. And right. so, so, and then there are the particular politics here about whether former President Trump, who had a let's say, a challenging relationship with Europe, uh, whether he is elected or not. Yeah. So. Can I just add, I'm not going to obviously talk about the politics, but just to add about and really, really emphasize one of the aspects that Fran, Fran touched on, which is, you know, the old Kissinger question that people in Washington always ask is, oh, when I, and I heard, and maybe it's not even Henry Kissinger said it, happy 100th birthday, Henry Kissinger. Um, but um, is, you know, when uh, when I call, when who do I call when I want to call Europe? Um, and you know we all know that that has multiple answers. But the truth is is that on the, a lot of these questions on trade and technology, we have to ask who do you call when you want to call the United States on things like AI, on data governance, on 6G and connectivity, on platforms, on clean tech. Um, you know the the map looks really really differentiated. There's not just one person to call. And that's one of the things that the TTC has really delivered at the working level, a little bit uh, beneath the surface, is it creates a kind of interagency process that socializes who is working on what in these much more technical uh, spaces and makes sure that they know who their counterpart is on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, when this was initially launched, it had 10 working groups. Uh, now there are many more than 10 working groups. And that could be a sign that it is also a sign of success in some ways because they, there's a recognition that there are a lot more things that we need to be working on together. Uh, rather than having less working groups, we're having more because there's new issues that are emerging, uh, new partners that need to be engaging with their, their uh, counterparts on the other side of the Atlantic, and ultimately creating this culture of cooperation that I think could last uh, beyond any kind of political wins because you know hopefully the same the numbers will stay the same among the you know professional civil servants on both sides of the Atlantic. While we're in a future forward-looking um, thread, I'd love to close us out with a question on what you all will be watching in the next six months for the TTC. What are you looking forward to for TTC 5? And then if there's anything that you think is missing currently from the TTC areas where the group should be focusing, um, initiatives in particular that you think should be you know, a higher priority for the group that was laid out in one of the first two meetings, um, so pull out your crystal balls and Tyson, would you like to start us off? Sure. Um, I guess the thing that I would say most is, is not just watch for TTC five, but what happens between TTC four and TTC five. So there's a lot of activity that's continuing to happen and a lot of, 
uh, new deliverables that will be harvested in the interim uh, on things like, you know, cooperation between the Department of Justice and the FTC with the Commission with DG Comp on the Digital Markets Act, um, on uh, access for independent researchers uh, to platform data under the Digital Services Act, you know, trying to get American researchers to be able to access that data as well. Uh, continued dis uh, discussion around um, the global arrangement on uh, aluminum and steel, which is, you know, something that the TTC said we want to have something. We're looking at the date October 2023 as something to 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 work towards. Um, there are a number of, and of course, on the um, the critical uh, minerals uh, agreement. These are all things that could happen prior to TTC five. They could happen after TTC five, uh, but you know, it's that interim period that we should also be looking at and not lose sight of. And on and on, um, you know what we could do more. You know, I will say, going out on a limb, you know, obviously in the U.S. government we do everything perfectly, uh, but I would say, you know, we need to increase our stakeholder outreach, both at home and abroad, with the private sector, with labor, with civil society, with member states, uh, with elected officials and other stakeholders, because this process, if it is to survive and remain durable, can only survive with multi-stakeholder buy-in. All right, Brianna, over to you. Bring us home. So let me start where Tyson ended, and that's stakeholder dialogue. I think, yes, it needs to be increased. It's one of the shortcomings of the TTC. But I think there also is an issue here in that um, the TTC has become, as we discussed earlier, more of a geopolitical rather than a commercial problem-solving institution. And so I think we need to be realistic, but I do think it would be helpful to have more um, particularly business buy-in um, as we address, as the TTC addresses some of these technologies and to find out how these technologies are actually being used in the company and companies, not just the developers, but among those who are deploying AI, for example. Um, I would also second what Tyson said, the next TTC will be in the fall. Um, if history is any uh, preview, it will be in the late fall. Uh, and we will see whether um, we have steel talks close to conclusion or maybe even concluded. That would be a fantastic deliverable. Um, and the critical raw material, critical rare minerals uh, accord as well. I think both of those in this next TTC may well be judged more by what happens in its surroundings rather than what it does itself. The one area that I would, well, two areas I would really like to see the TTC move forward is to make some of these ideas that are being talked about generative AI, uh, whether it's code of conduct or uh, starting to launch an institution or to put forward a proposal for an institution. I would like to see some of those reach more maturity by the next TTC. Um, and uh, I think that that's possible. And I think then the TTC can become a powerful place for then reaching out beyond to others, uh, Japan, South Korea, et cetera, uh, the UK. Um, the other thing is that at TTC3, there was a quiet launch, so to speak, of a transatlantic initiative on sustainable trade. We got a little bit more of a picture. I mean, I went and talked to people afterwards and I said, what is this TIST? And they said, well, we actually don't know. 
So um, then uh, we now have more of a shape of it at this TTC, but a lot of it was pushed aside to the next TTC. I think that green tech uh, and trade in services and goods related to green tech could be a real um, positive place for the US and the EU together to work together. And I would like to see a much more ambitious than what was sp spelled out in this declaration. I'd like to see some a much more ambitious program uh, by the time we have the next TTC. The TTC has been short on trade deliverables. And we are finally, this time, got some conformity assessment issues um, put forward that, to be honest, have been hanging around since the TTIP days. But I think, you know, rather than trying to address trade, is trade issues that are old school trade, traditional trade, let's talk about green trade. And I'd like to see the TTC do a lot more on that. Tyson and Fran, thank you both so much for joining us again. As always, it was a tour de force, very comprehensive um, set of issues covered, great reflections looking back, and then also a lot of food for thought about what the TTC can be doing moving forward. So thank you both, as always, for your excellent analysis and for taking the time to join us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Brussels Sprouts, brought to you by the Transatlantic Security Team at the Center for a New American Security. You can find all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And please remember to rate and review Brussels Sprouts so that new listeners are able to find the show.